guys. So welcome to Beats and Boardrooms. It's a new podcast, a kind of semi-weekly podcast that I myself, my name is Tom Shackelford. Uh, I'm a staff writer at access.com. Um, and I'm going to be your host for this kind of industry-based podcast, uh, which my goal here is to humanize the music industry. Um, for those of you who have kind of followed along to podcasts that I've done in the past, thanks for, I guess, continuing the journey with me. Uh, but with this one, and as much fun as I was having with talking to artists, uh, with this project, I really want to, like I said, humanize the industry. I would love to bring some of my friends whose you know, job on a daily basis is to work with artists and concerts and events, whether it be at labels, or radio stations, or management companies, and have them tell their story and have them talk about uh, why the industry, why the music industry isn't exactly just some mysterious machine that pumps out, you know, young famous people every, you know, every six months or so. Uh, you know, it's like any other business and it's comprised of pretty cool people for the most part. And so for this first episode, I'm going to welcome one of those cool people. Her name, I'll let her introduce herself and tell her story here in a second. Uh, but she's a friend of mine and we met like two years ago, right? <clears throat> at CMJ, it was like CMJ or something a couple years ago here in New York. Uh, so Sarah Sofer, welcome to the first episode of Beats and Boardrooms. Thank you. I'm so honored to be the first guest. Yeah, right? Wow, so we're making history. I know. So we're chilling here. We're not actually in a boardroom today. We're sitting outside of uh, the Flatiron Building in New York. And it's a beautiful day. It's so nice. Credit, you know, props to you for picking this location. Thank you. So, um, I mean, I'll let you kind of give us like a brief summary of your story. Uh, you know, you work at this fiction management, which is like a uh, indie pop, indie rock artist management company Correct. based here in New York. Yes. So I guess to give us a rundown on, I guess, one, what, you know, what really sparked, I don't want to say what sparked your interest in working in music, like it was a job interview. But I, I guess for you, what... You know, was there a moment in your life or, you know, tell us about how you went from just liking music to be like, okay, I want to pursue this as a career. Yeah, so I think there was a lot of different moments where I had that spark. Um, also, I just have to say, first of all, that I hate how my voice sounds recorded. You so sound great. If Doesn't everyone, though? If anyone's listening to this and is like, this girl's voice is so annoying, like, I thought that before you did. Yeah. So. It's not that annoying in real life. So, Every time then. I hear myself on a voicemail, I'm like, oh, God, who sounds like that? No, totally. Um, yeah, so I always grew up loving music. I was the person who would sit on iTunes late at night searching for people who bought this song also bought these songs. And I would just sit there and listen and listen and listen. And I loved finding all these bands and artists and songs that no one had ever heard of before because it... It felt like I was discovering something and it felt like I knew something cool and exciting and mysterious that other people didn't know. And um, I grew up taking dance classes, so I would listen to music that way. And no one in my family is like plays an instrument, no one works in music, so it was just something that I always liked. And then when I went to college, I went to school in DC and I thought, oh, I'm in D.C., I'm going to change the world, I'm going to work in politics, and I took a poli-sci class that was so horrendous that I changed my major, like, the next day. There you go. It was, like, the only C I got in college. It was really shitty. Yeah, it happens. I got plenty of those. And then, but I was, at the time, interning at this environmental nonprofit called the Earth Day Network that puts on a concert on the National Mall every year. Um, in the year I was interning for them, 
they had a big concert with like The Roots, Sting, um, Passion Pit, John Legend, Joss Stone. And I got to work backstage at that event and I was like, oh, this is a lot cooler than everything I've been doing this whole semester. So from there I thought, I don't want to work in nonprofits or political science. I want to do something music-based or event-based. I liked the fast pace. I liked the being like working with artists. Um, and yeah, so from there I interned at the 930 Club, which kind of and actually at BET Networks. Oh, hell. For those who don't know, 930 Club is what, a, like a 3,000 cap venue in Washington, D.C.? 1,200. 12, all right. 1,200 yeah. capacity venue in Washington, D.C. Legendary. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and so I just tried to get into, like, entertainment in general, and I later in college I interned at a local TV station. I just wanted to be in entertainment because that was something that was fun to me and was fast-paced and I wanted something that made me feel like I wasn't doing work but it was fun and you're still collecting a paycheck look at that <laughs> yeah um so yeah I entered at 9 30 I loved it I ended up um working part-time there I just wanted to be involved in any way and it's it's was kind of smaller when I was there than it is now but it was like they had like a marketing department of like three people they had one booker they had one person who did contracts like it was they didn't have like a ton of staff so I was just like I'm in college I'm available if you need help let me know so I would answer phones in their CEO's office I would go help their CFO with random stuff he had going on I would help at Merriweather, I worked hospitality. I just did all this, these like in and out jobs for them just because I was around and I was willing. Um, and then when I graduated, they had an opening for a marketing position, which I applied for. Didn't get the first time. The girl who got it left after like three months and then they hired me the second time. There you go. Um, and then, yeah, so I started doing that. I was still doing hospitality at night, so I would work marketing during the day at the club and then two or so nights a week I would go over to the club and do hospitality at shows. Look at you hustling. Seriously. But it was awesome and it was good to see like especially for marketing we would sit there all day and like scratch our heads about how do we sell tickets to a show and then you go to the show and you see who shows up and you're like oh this is what this band this is what this band's fans are like or this is what this crowd is and you know, even just talking to people, like, how, how do you know of this band? How did you hear of the show? And so it was helpful in, in my day job, but it was also fun. And I think there's where I realized, while I was liking what I was doing, I wanted to be more on the artist side because we would see different bands come in and out every day. And you just, you didn't get a chance to know any of them. You didn't get a chance to be around any of them longer than a couple hours and yeah. it was like in and out and in and out and you'd see this one girl was TMing a band and then six months later you'd see her again and I just I like the idea of sticking with a band through the whole tour instead of one day of their tour and, and something that was like more bigger picture from their end um, and so yeah, so then I moved to New York for grad school. I got a master's in music business at NYU. And I said, I did music marketing, I did live. I'm gonna try something different. I wanna 
try working at a sync company or working in management or working at a label. And I got an opportunity to do marketing for another live event. And that's what I did. Um, And so from there, I worked at Founders Entertainment. um, And they're the company that produces Governor's Ball and and Meadows. And the Meadows Music Festival here in New York. They didn't have Meadows when I was there. But... And they were, again, a super small team when they offered it to me. Um, it was only five full-time staff, a bunch of freelancers. Um, three of those were the partners that started the company. And it, they were all just great people. And it seemed like an amazing opportunity where I would learn a lot and work with really smart people. And um, What's something that you learned in your time there? As, as I mean, Governor's Ball has really become one of the primary live events pop music uh, in New York City, which is very impressive considering that when, yeah, when you joined it, who's it, what, like a four or five person team? Yeah, it was tiny. You know, how, like, what it, were you kind of surprised that uh, Governor's Ball got as popular as it did within two, three years of really becoming, like, the staple festival in New York? I don't think so, because, but I think that it's crazy that it became so popular with such a small team for such a long time. Now they've expanded and they have, you know, a about I think like 10 or 15 people on their team um but yeah I mean they're super smart people with different backgrounds that came together and said here's what I'm good at and here's what I can do and they um one of the guys over there always says that we filled a void there was no major music festival in New York City and we saw that as an opportunity and it's true it's like any successful company that's really what they're doing definitely and they have so. and they're killing it right now yeah. i mean it's you know it sells out every year it seems like it's awesome i love those guys i will be a govball fan my whole life this is my first year in five years i wasn't a patron or working the festival yeah um but i love them and i had an amazing experience there i learned so much i met a lot of people um but during that time, I had started managing a band on the side, kind of by accident. It was in grad school, I had a project to put on a show, which I was like, I've worked in live music for like four years as a breeze. And I booked this band that I was a fan of. And through that, I started working them with them on other stuff. And then they were like, be our manager. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll try. That's um, Mail the Horse? Yeah. So I started working with them and it was just so rewarding being a part of their journey. And so after GovBall, I had one more year of grad school left and I was like, I came here, I said I wasn't gonna work in live music, I said I wasn't gonna work in marketing. I really wanna try something new. This is my last year to explore different areas and I'm gonna use it for that, so I left interned for a year at Q Prime and also at NBC in the music services department. Um, and then I got hired by this fiction. And I feel like artist management, whether it's one person or an entire company managing the careers of artists, uh, is a very loose term. I think it can depend, you know, different artists and different managers have different relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. I guess, how would you best describe for someone who doesn't know or someone who may be interested in that side of the industry, uh, what you know, the best definition that you can give for what a modern, like a current modern day music manager does for an artist? Um, a jack of all trades. 
Um, I don't, managers do whatever needs to get done and then thinks ahead on top of that. So my boss always says we're not experts in one thing, but we know a little bit about a lot of things, and I think that's true. Um, I think you have to be personable. I think you have to be proactive. I think you have to pay attention to detail. Uh, you know, have to you have to know how to talk to artists, and you know have to know how to have to. I can't even talk. Yeah, have to know how to talk. Like I am right now. Yeah. Um, know how to talk to like important people in the industry. I mean, you kind of have to be a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, you know, one day, I mean, you're you know you're managing their relationship with the label on their next album. Maybe another day you're working on some sponsorship partnership opportunities. Yeah. Maybe another time, you know, you got to have meetings on routing their European tour, which is coming up maybe in yeah. a, a year and a half down the road. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I always explain to people who don't work in the music industry that management is like a filter to the artist. So artists have a million things going on and a million people around them, like whether it's their publisher, or their publicist, or their agent who all do specific things and then you're the filter to the artist so they don't get bombarded with a million different things. Yeah. But again, you also have to be proactive and thinking ahead and saying, okay, we have this album coming, what are we gonna do for it? And what's gonna be the digital plan and what's gonna be the marketing strategy and where are we gonna do the shows? It's like, you, you have to be able to play defense and offense, which can be hard to do if they, you have a lot going on. Yeah. Um, but something that our team tries to do is just like step back, do brainstorms, not reply to emails, but think think ahead instead of always reacting to stuff we have coming in. Yeah. Which is hard. You have to like actively s- stop your inbox, which there's this new thing on Boomerang called Pause. Have you heard of it? No. So Boomerang, if you don't know it, is the greatest invention ever. Maybe they'll sponsor me because I just go. love them so much. You, it basically is a, a tool, like an app you can add into your Google inbox. Maybe you can do it on other inboxes, but I just use Google. Um, where you can schedule emails to be sent. You can have emails boomerang back to you if people don't reply to them. Or if people do reply to them, just as a reminder. Um, and now there's new feature, pause, where you can pause your inbox so new emails won't come in. So you oh, can man. get the ones in your inbox out before you have new ones coming in. Look at that. Shout out to uh, Boomerang, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but you have to actively like stop playing defense in order to be like, okay, we have these things coming up. What are we going to do around it? How are we going to make this a big success? Things like that. So who are some artists that you guys have on your roster? We have Ex Ambassadors, Great Good Fine Okay, Jukebox the Ghost, Panama Wedding, Morgan, Savoir Door, Mink, yeah. Mel the Horse. Okay. I think I said them all. Yeah. Sorry if I'm forgetting it. Yeah, anyone. right. Uh, so, what are some, maybe, what are some, I mean, I know with Ex Ambassadors, uh, they have the, their own Cuyahoga Sound music festival coming up here in late September, right? Yeah. I mean, we can talk about that here in a second on kind of like what you what you yourself are doing to help, you know, make that become a reality and how, from the management side, you guys helped their, you know, one of their goals, which was to throw their own music festival, make right. that a reality. But first, I just want to ask, uh, so as someone who manages indie-level artists and indie level rock artists who you know artists who aren't 
you know, selling out football stadiums at the moment by any means, but they're also not, they've also made their way out of kind of like the dingy lower circuit as artists. I guess what are some of the easier parts of working with like an indie artist on that level, like kind of like a mid, mid, mid popularity level, and what are some of the challenges you find with working with artists who are still kind of, you know, climbing their way up and building a fan base? Uh, I mean, that's an interesting question. I don't know. I think, I think no part is necessarily easy. I mean, some tasks might become easier as you do them more often, but... Or as the band becomes a little bit more popular? Yeah, it depends. I mean, it's honestly just depends on, like, who is already familiar with the band. Like, one of our bands just got a sink in an upcoming new Netflix show because the, one of the producers on it is a huge fan of theirs. Like, to me, that's easy because we didn't have to introduce a band to a producer of a Netflix show. They were already a fan. Um, and yeah, that's like the thing with some of our bands is they have really dedicated fan bases that are smaller than, say, an ex-ambassador's fan base, but their fans are super dedicated and will show up for their shows and will stream them on Spotify and will buy their merch. So in terms of challenges, I think it's just finding ways to, I don't know, reach more people, I guess, especially in an age of Spotify where everything not everything, but a lot of things on the platform that have hundreds of millions of streams are a certain genre of music. And even if some of our bands sound like that, you know, how do you push them from this stage to the next? And I don't know. I don't think there's one answer. I think there's a lot of things. User, um, like when, I guess from a management standpoint, how do you react or how do you kind of make up for uh, a loss or a bump in the road? Like, let's say an album, one of your, uh, hypothetically, what if one of your artists or clients' albums totally tanked? Or what if a tour, you know, just didn't sell enough tickets and it ended up losing money? Or, you know, there's a bump in the road and something that happens where, you know, as the manager, you're responsible for really running their career. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you overcome that? And how do you, you know, still work well with the artists on having enough confidence and be like, look, you know, this was just something where we had to learn, you know, what we did wrong, you know, how do we still move forward? How do we keep the ball moving down the field? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, that would never happen because we won't let our artists Not release Sarah, terrible no. music right. and we make tour budgets before every tour. Um, but yeah, there are definitely setbacks. I mean, an artist can write a song and think it's the best song they've ever written in their career and send it to people on their team that will say, I don't think it's that good. And it's like, I think that you have to be able to work with artists who understand that it, shit's gonna happen probably 98% of the time and expect the worst but what is it expect the worst hope for the best something like that yeah um but yeah but just learning from your mistakes I mean we've had artists that have been on tour and played in maybe like a B market and ticket sales were really shitty and they didn't make a lot of money and um, you know, next time we run a tour, they say it's not worth it for us to play this venue. If we're only going to sell X amount of tickets and we're going to lose X amount of money. And that's just something you learn along the, along the way. It's a lot of like trial and error until you find like what works. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but you can't really spend time bitching about shitty things that happen. Shitty things happen literally every day. Like in any business, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just finding ways to find solutions fast and finding ways to ensure that shitty things don't happen again. Totally. Now with ex-ambassadors, all right, so they, they're, you know, you guys have worked with them on helping to produce Cuyahoga Sound, yes. which is coming up. Uh, September 23rd. And where is it going to be? In Ithaca, New York, their which, hometown. Yeah, which is where Cornell University is located. Yeah. Uh, right up there on the Finger Lakes, right? Yeah. In upstate New York. Uh, so they come to you with the idea that they actually want to do this. They want to put on a music festival with real artists, and it's like a real event. Uh, what is the first thing you guys talk about and start helping them, you know, make that idea become a reality? What's the first, you know, response that you guys have, or what's the first move after they come to their manager and go, here's what we want to do. Yeah. How can you make it ha- help us make it happen? Well, they actually came to my boss with that idea before I even worked at the company, so this is something they've been working on behind the scenes for, like, two years. Um, but they partnered with an independent promoter in Ithaca, um, who's a big fan of the band, who knows the area who puts on similar size music festivals um so that was like kind of the first step finding a good partner who does this so the band has the creative vision they had the lineup in mind that they wanted they had an idea for how it was going to look how it was going to feel special things they could do for their fans like they're doing a vip dinner the night before for anyone who bought vip tickets it's going to be like a intimate acoustic uh, performance uh, that ex-ambassador was just going to do. So they had the big vision and then our our promoter partner is helping us with like here's what the how we're going to get a stage, here's how we're going to get permits, here's how all the production is going to work. Um, that was the first step. And then from there we they got a name, they found um this company in London to create the logo and uh, started to develop like the feel and the look of what it would the whole aesthetic the yeah. whole vibe of the experience yeah because that was something that was really important for the band I mean they want to start this they're starting it as a way to give back to the community that they grew up in um, but they don't want it to be a one year thing they want it to like live on for years and years so making sure everything looked right and felt right for the first year was really important to them um and yeah, just, I mean, from there, it's, I don't even know where to start. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge There's undertaking. There's so many different things f- going on with that. Like right now, we're finalizing the merch designs. Uh, we're announcing a food lineup. I mean, there's just so many little things that are going on. And for me, it feels like old stomping ground because I've worked in live music and I've worked for a festival. Um, so it's it's interesting and it's fun and it's a lot of work. It's like having another artist on your roster. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You excited for it though? Is the band pretty yeah, excited? As you guys kind of so gear up stoked. for it? Yeah, they're the roots are co-headlining, so they're word awesome every time. So excited about that! And they played Roots Picnic last year. In I New was York. there. I shot it, and that was a, that was a great festival. Yeah. And I think the intimate festivals, as much as I love big festivals, are just as fun and usually even better because the audience is a little bit more select. It's not just any teenager who has, you know, some summer money to spend. Right, right. Uh, and I think the town is a little bit better curated. It's not yeah. just throwing popular names on a poster. Totally. And also, like, we understood that this is a first-year festival. We weren't trying to make it a three-day camping festival. It's one day. 
it's going to be a really small cap, like 5000 for the first year, in hopes that next year we can make it a two-day and we can make it 10000 cap. So we kind of were self-aware and didn't really chew, eat, bite off more than we can chew. Yeah. I'm not really good at my sayings. Yeah, it's okay. That's like I feel like our generation really didn't pick up sayings yeah. and, you know, little, little tr- catchphrases and whatnot. We kind of just created... Like shitty text acronyms and like emojis. Yeah. That's how we communicate. It's hard. I mean, you know. Totally. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I saw this summer, I mean, the fire festival disaster. Yeah. And then there was another festival that had a great lineup and was in an area that didn't really have any other competing festivals and they had to cancel it before it even happened. So it's like. You also see that with some of these destination festivals. Yeah, I mean, festivals are very hot and they make money and people want to get in on it, but you have to be realistic. You have to take on partners like we did that do this all year round and have been doing this for years. And you have to start small. I mean, even Governor's Bowl, they started as like a one or two day festival on Governor's Island. That's right, on the actual Governor's Island. Yeah. Yeah. And then they grew it over the year. Like you, you have to start small and grow, just like any other company. Totally. Uh, now you're a big fish fan, right? Guess you could say that. Yeah, you are. Uh, and Baker's Dozen was just in New York. How many shows did you go to? I went to five out of thirteen. That's respectable. I somehow managed to not pay for any fish shows this run, which you. is a personal record. Fish is like I've always paid for fish shows. I don't know how you don't. Yeah. Support the band. You know, support the community. Well, it's not even that. They have all the support they could ever need. Yeah, right. It's just impossible. I mean, they have, like, no comp shows. Yeah. Unless, basically, your management or their booking agent. How's the Did you have fun every night? So fun. There was one night that was a little quiet, but other than that, everything was great. Yeah. Did did you get a Wilson for any of those? I don't think I got a Wilson, but I got a Funky Bitch, which is my favorite song. Rock on. And I've only heard it one other time, so it was, like, the greatest show ever. Who else are you listening to right now? Let's pull up my... That's, that's the best way to do it. Pull out the iPhone. Spotify. See, or, yeah, so you can actually... It's always, it's always a tricky question, because then people think of, oh, who I want to help co-promote. I always say just pull out the cell phone and, you know. Um, I saw Valerie June in Central Park last night. She's phenomenal. All right. Everyone should listen to her. Um, Lizzo's new song I really like. What else? The new Sheer Mag album is awesome. What else have I been listening to? I listen to weird stuff. I listen to, like, folky rock and roll, but then I also listen to, like, indie pop. As you should. And everything and anything in between. Um, there's this girl, Jess Best, I really like. Jess Best? All right. She's super good. Um, that's, I mean, that's all I need her. to know. You sold me. So, yeah. So what advice, if you're giving advice to someone who was in your position just a couple years ago, they maybe they have a little bit of experience in, like, working at a concert venue or, you know, doing something where they worked in live events, and they want to go through the man- down the management side of things. Uh, what advice would you give them on understanding how that side of the industry works and how they could possibly get their foot in the door? Yeah, I mean, there's no, like, one right or wrong way to do it. I mean, you could just, like, start doing it yourself, which is something that I did. You can get experience interning at a company that does it, which is great, but also hard to do if you don't live in L.A., New York, Chicago, 
or a few other select cities. Yeah, like um, Miami, Nashville, depending on the genre. Yeah. Um, but I think just getting involved in music in any way, if that's what you want to do, if you want to be in the music industry and you want to be in management and you don't know how to get started, just get involved in anything because it's a small industry. Everyone knows everyone. And everyone you meet will lead you to someone else who will lead you to someone else who will lead you to someone else. Um, email every single person who ever gives you their business card. Go to every talk series or panel or things like that that your school offers or your town offers. Um, and even just like cold emailing people and asking about them. I mean, people love talking to themselves about themselves. That's why I agree to this. Yeah, right. I think one of the interesting <laughs> things about management to point out uh, for someone looking to get into it is you see, and I've met managers from all sides of the industry. Some of them were talent agents or promote, worked for uh, promoters. And like you, you had experience really working on you know concerts and touring and festivals, that side of an artist's career. But you also, I've also met some who are former attorneys, yeah. who just you know former music attorneys who just have enough experience and contacts, yeah. you know, to help an artist kind of get you know that exposure that they need. Yeah. So you really, there's really, like you said, there's really no blueprint specifically like yeah. there is for going into artist management as opposed to other maybe very specific you know jobs in the industry. Yeah, and just try everything because. For a long time, I didn't know that management is what I wanted to do. I liked a lot of different aspects of the industry, and that was overwhelming to me to have to pick one. Um, but I knew things I didn't like because I had tried them, and was like, okay, this part is not for me. Um, but that's why I liked management, is because it's something new every day. It's something new with every artist, and it never gets boring because always something new totally totally all right cool i mean thanks for coming on anything else you want to promote selfish um, you know selflessly before we log off here i don't think so not really yeah you have a twitter or anything instagram instagram you want to share it or no at sarah soph s-o-p-h how like how would you rate your concert photos Oh, on your Instagram. great, because I hate when someone posts a blurry, shitty photo on Instagram That's just all to the say way they were the there. Back, yeah. I'm like, no one cares. Like, if you wanted to say you were there, just do a black photo with white text that says, I was at this concert. Like, no one wants to see your shitty photos. It's shitty photo Instagramming 101 with Sarah Sofer. Well, thanks for coming on, man. This was really cool. Yeah, um, thanks for having me, sir. I feel like I just talked everyone's ear off. No, nah, man, we wanted to hear your story. That's what this is all about. Uh, and hope for anyone who will be at Cuyahoga Sound, yeah. we'll be there. So we'll be there hanging out. I'll be there all week, Tuesday to Sunday. Rock on, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Guys, tune in. Uh, I think we're going to be on iTunes pretty soon, but if not... You can listen to all the episodes for this new series on SoundCloud under Beats in Boardrooms. That's with an N, like Guns N' Roses, not in. Like my shirt. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Beats in Boardrooms. Find us on Twitter at Beats Podcast, which is like a good tag to have before like Apple and Beats like sue the shit out of me. Yeah. You know, to get that Twitter tagline. Get that Beats sponsorship money. Huh? Yeah, right. Uh, so, yeah, find us on Twitter at Beats Podcast. Um, Sarah, thank you for joining us. It's thank been, you for having it's been a me. Hoot.